I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. With Boyd Matheson. The Ukraine has had a lot of success lately, pushing back against Russia's invasion. President Joe Biden spoke some very strong, very stern words to Vladimir Putin today. With the military goals of Vladimir Putin seemingly on the line, how is Vladimir Putin responding to the pressure? What is he likely to do as a result? We're very pleased to have joining us from Latvia today, Mary Ilushina, who is a reporter for the Washington Post covering Russia. And Mary, we really appreciate you taking some time for us today. Uh, let's start with what Vladimir Putin is doing uh, in the face of uh, bleak prospects. And we're getting close to winter where things could really change. Hey, yeah, um, absolutely. So uh, Vladimir Putin today announced that he is launching this uh, thing called partial mobilization, which basically means that he is uh, trying to draft um, enlist 300,000 men across Russia. Those are mostly reservists, young men under 35 who have some military experience, who served in the army before. Um, and he's doing that because Russian campaign, Russian invasion of Ukraine has been stalling recently. They suffered uh, major setbacks in northeastern Ukraine, um, and he's trying to bolster their um, uh, presence there. But the concern is because this force is essentially not really motivated because not many Russians are willing to you know, be forced to go fight in Ukraine and potentially die there. Um, and also that there have been a lot of issues with equipment and resources then it's not really clear whether it's going to be a major game changer changer for Russia um, on the battlefield. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately... We're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, in uh, some of your reporting today in the Washington Post, uh, you noted that uh, Vladimir Putin gave a national address, a broadcast at 9 a.m. Moscow time where he lashed out against the West uh, and uh, led to some some other things that I think raised a lot of eyebrows around the world. 
Yeah, you probably mean the potential nuclear threat that he mentioned at the end of this uh, his speech. Yes, he said um, that you know the Western countries that are threatening Russia, especially if they're threatening with like nuclear weapons. He said like the wind can change the other way, sort of alluding to the fact that Russia also has a nuclear arsenal, and that um, he also said he's prepared to go all out and use all means available um, to him. So. You know, a lot of people read it as saber rattling because he's known to do that. And he's mentioned nuclear weapons multiple times, although this sort of mentioned was probably starker than some of the others. Um, obviously, world leaders condemned that and um, said, like, you know, they won't accept that. And they also don't think Ukraine will back down. But it's obviously very, very concerning that he's ratcheting up this um, uh, rhetoric. Yeah, and as as you look at that, uh, and as you follow Russia so closely, uh, what is the sense uh, inside of Russia? We've heard a, a few rumblings from some political opponents and a few little things here and there. Uh, do you have any sense of what the the real feel is inside of Russia, especially with this call uh, for three hundred thousand uh, reservists to come up? Well, Russia is, of course, a big country, but from what I've seen, there's a lot of sort of panic and concern. Um, there are people who are trying to flee the country now because they're afraid that they will get drafted or their loved ones will get drafted. Um, there is, there's been protests across Russia today. They, you know, are not in the tens of thousands that we are used to seeing, for example, even 10 years ago in Russia. But that's partly because Russia made it really, really hard for people to protest. Like if you, you can't even use the word war in Russia because the Kremlin calls it a special military operation. And if you do call it or publicly criticize this war, you can end up in jail or get a big fine and <clears throat> protesting essentially outlawed. So given all that, it was quite incredible to see so many people come out. There was uh, over a thousand detained um, as of late Wednesday in Russia, um, specifically because these people went to protest against this mobilization. And they say, you know, they want their children to live. They don't want them to die in Ukraine and they don't want to die for Putin and his government there. Uh, I think that's such a, an interesting shift, uh, especially as we kind of march towards winter. G- give me a sense. You're, you're based there in Latvia. Uh, what is the sense there in Europe uh, in terms of where things are? Obviously, there's been a, a lot of talk of, of the success Ukraine has had in recent weeks and regaining a lot of that territory. Uh, but what's the overall sense uh, in Europe in terms of where this all stands? Well, of course, as you mentioned, winter is approaching and there's a lot of concern about that because Russia has been um, betting on this war of attrition. They're trying to wear Ukraine out and also wear Europeans out because mm-hmm. Europe and, and the U.S. are supplying Ukraine with a lot of um, aid and weapons. And they hope that because of the energy supply that Russia controls and that Europe relies on often, um, they'll be able to you know, push Ukrainians to pressure their governments to stop the support. Um, but overall, I think these gains Ukraine had recently is very, you know, brought a lot of hopes um, that they might actually win because a lot of people were skeptical at the beginning of the campaign. But Ukraine proved that actually can use what the West gives it very, very well. Um, and there is hope that this might be some sort of a breaking point um, in the favor of Ukraine, of Ukraine because they've been doing so well. But of course, it's too early to say and winter will bring a lot of um, you know, new variables into the campaign. It's, you know, different logistics, different supplies. It's harder to fight. It's harder to do everything. Um, so we'll, of course, have to see. 
Uh, and uh, final question for you before I let you go. Uh, obviously, it was earlier uh, today, U.S. time, uh, President Joe Biden spoke to the United Nations uh, very forcefully. I thought it was a very strong speech from President Biden. Uh, any early reaction uh, from Europe or within Ukraine in terms of uh, reaction to that speech or, or just where the West is, where the U.S. is uh, and what's likely to happen in the, the days and weeks ahead? Well, I think Ukraine is definitely welcoming welcoming this speech because, um, as if I'm correct, you know, Biden uh, definitely addressed what Putin said in the morning um, and kind of free ta- kind of was used quite a harsh language against that. So I think they definitely welcomed that and they regard U.S. as one of the its main and most important key supporters. So I think it's very welcome in terms of Russian reaction. You know, there hasn't been much, but. Um, they've sort of, the Kremlin usually likes to say that they don't have time to watch, uh, speeches of U.S. presidents, even though Sergey Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, is in New York, um, today at the, uh, UN General Assembly. So there's a bit of tension there. Um, there was an issue with visas, uh, like they were delayed. So there's a lot of sort of behind the door tensions going on. So we'll obviously have to see how that all unfolds today. Uh, wonderful reporting. Uh, Mary Ilyushina, uh, reporter for the Washington Post covering Yesha, Russia based in, in Latvia. We appreciate you staying up and uh, giving us some wonderful perspective on what's happening in Ukraine today. Thanks so much for joining us, Mary. Thank you. All right. Uh, some Again, some great things. I, again, I thought the president's speech today was one of his strongest. I thought it was a very clear message. Obviously, that has uh, caused Vladimir Putin to ratchet up his rhetoric uh, just a bit more. And winter is approaching, and that is going to change the dynamic. So while Ukraine has made some great progress in recent days, the question will be, can they sustain that? And then they can, can they continue uh, to mount that momentum uh, in the middle of winter where things get very difficult, supplies become very challenging, uh, and there's much, much yet to come as it relates to Ukraine and Russia. And we'll continue to follow all of that. We'll step aside now for some bottom-of-the-hour news. When we come back... Do you know what an oud is? You're about to experience it. It just might change your perspective. Stick around. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.